I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And, and we're, we're the, the sirens. sirens. Today we're discussing Marty, a charming movie about the last of six children, unmarried and living at home with an overbearing Italian mother. <laughs> 34-year-old socially awkward Bronx butcher Marty faces middle age with no prospects and permanent bachelorhood looming. But when he is goaded by his mother into going to the Stardust Ballroom one Saturday night, Marty unexpectedly meets Clara, a lonely teacher. They connect and have a wonderful date, but his family and friends discourage him from pursuing her. Ultimately, he must decide whether or not to follow his own desires and call her as he promised to. Um, Or, as I like to call it, live footage from my (laughs) in-laws. Um, cause I watched this movie with Mike and we laughed so hard <laughs> at so many of the scenes that probably weren't even supposed to be funny. <laughs> no. But it is, this definitely, uh, resonated with me. <laughs> Still true, uh, 60 years later or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I mean, we'll get into it. Yeah. So I have a little bit of trivia about this movie. Okay. When reading for his part, Ernest Borgnine moved both screenwriter Patty Chayefsky and director Delbert Mann to tears. And when he finished the read-through, they knew that they immediately had to cast him. Um, And I read that they had been looking at other more famous actors like Marlon Brando. I was like, how are you going to have Marlon Brando play a dog? (laughs) Like, this is not... That's not this role, okay? <laughs> yeah, how are you going to make that work? Some prosthetics, I don't know. <laughs> Although, I didn't think that he, this guy was that bad looking. Not, I didn't think it, it, either of them were bad looking, and they kept being like, I'm a dog, I know that we're dogs. <laughs> I'm dog-faced. So, this was interesting. Betsy Blair, who played Clara, was almost not permitted to do the film. Yes. Because of the 1950s Hollywood blacklist. Mm-hmm. And Gene Kelly was her husband at the time, and he basically forced them to cast her by threatening not to direct or star in any of the any of the of Heck Lancaster's productions if she wasn't cast. So <laughs> I didn't realize that she was Gene Kelly's wife until I read this. Yeah, I I bioed her, and I didn't realize it until. <laughs> yeah, way to throw your weight around, and you know, for your wife, dude. I know. That's, I was like, I know Gene Kelly has a bad reputation, but like this is the case where he did something good. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is supposedly the only time in film history that the producers spent more on a film's award campaign than they did on the making of the movie. Whoa. Yeah. The movie only cost uh, 343000 to make, and supposedly they spent 400000 on the award campaign. Sure. Uh, and it worked. I was going to say, it worked. So, apparently, they were skeptical initially about casting Ernest Born. Is it Borgnine? I think it's Borgnine. Borgnine. Okay, thank you. They were skeptical. I don't and know, then <laughs> Robert Aldrich, who was his friend convinced them to cast him and and Borgnine said for the rest of his life that he owed his career to him because before this Borgnine was always playing like gangsters uh-huh. and roles like that which is I think kind of what I recognized him from mm-hmm. 
This is the shortest film to have won the Academy Award for Best Picture at 90 minutes long, which I appreciated. I felt like it kind of tripped along. I'm, I'm over all of these, like, three-hour movies. <laughs> I'm like... Get it down and uh, and done before two hours. Let's let's go. Exactly. Especially when they're doing like three hour Marvel movies and stuff. I'm like, this is a superhero movie. You can edit some things out. <laughs> Uh, A Moscow screening of the film during a 1959 cultural exchange program made it the first U.S. feature seen in the USSR since World War II. Wow. So that's all I have for that. Who did you bio for this movie? Um, So I bioed uh, Betsy Blair. I can tell you about her. She was not someone I was familiar with before this movie, um, so I learned a lot about her. She was born Elizabeth Winifred Boger. In 1923, in New Jersey, her father was an insurance salesman and her mother was a school teacher. Uh, at the age of eight, she was enrolled in the Swift Sisters School of Dance and performed for Eleanor Roosevelt in 1933. She also joined a touring amateur show and performed on local radio. She just like started performing basically the minute she could and joined the John Robert Powers Modeling Agency and was doing a lot of modeling by the age of 12. She enrolled in the professional children's school, but wasn't that wasn't actually a, an accredited school, so her mother made her go back to local school so that she could eventually attend college. She graduated early at 15 years old and got a scholarship oh. to Sarah Lawrence College. And Sarah Sarah Lawrence College was like, we want you to come, but you got to wait a year because you're 15. Um, So so, you are a minor, man. Yeah, so you can't come. So in in that waiting period, she joined the chorus at the International Casino in Times Square. And when it closed down, she worked in the chorus of uh, Billy Rose's Diamond Horseshoe starting in January 1940, where Gene Kelly was working as a choreographer. Their relationship blossomed, culminating in their marriage in October 1941 when she was 17 years old, so she was finally old enough to go to college, and she got married. Yikes. And they remained married for 16 years and had one daughter named Carrie Kelly Novick, and then they ultimately divorced in 1957. She left Billy Rose's show to accept an offer from another choreography to join the chorus of Panama uh, Hattie, which was uh, had an illustrious lineup that included people like June Allison and Vera Ellen. So she was moving on up ranks. In early 1941, so before she she and uh, Gene Kelly got married, she um, had her very first like stage play role the in the female lead role uh, in the play The Beautiful People um, at the Lyceum Theater. It was around this time that she developed a strong interest in Marxism, having been introduced um, to Lloyd Goff by Gene Kelly, and Goff apparently had a weekly Marxist study group Kelly did not attend, but she got very involved in it and, you know, was, you know, a true believer, I guess. She eventually appeared in, you know, and started appearing in films, including A Double Life in 1947, Another Part of the Forest in 1948, and The Snake Pit, also in 1948. But as you mentioned, she had these, you know, left-wing political views um, and admitted to joining the Communist Party, although her application was apparently rejected as the party thought that she would be more valuable as the wife of, as the wife of um, Jean Kelly. 
Kelly himself was not a communist, but his like status, as you kind of mentioned, kind of protected both of them from a lot of the scrutiny of other potentially and actually communist members of the Hollywood elite. She was investigated in the 1950s by the House on Un-American Activities, um, and she was blacklisted, as you mentioned, for her performance in Marty, which you mentioned um, she almost didn't get because of her political views. She received an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actress and prizes from the Ken uh, Film Festival. Her career faltered, though, because of the Marxism that she held dear, and so she ended up working on the stage in New York and in Europe. Once she and Jean Kelly divorced, she moved permanently to Europe, where she um, worked frequently with a French director named Roger Pigeot and appeared in a number of films. She married a Czech-born director and producer named Carol Rice in 1963 and worked sporadically um, after that in 1980 she was a member of the jury of the 30th Berlin International Film Festival um, and then in the early 2000s she filmed scenes for the movie The Hours which like initially she was supposed to play the older version of Julianne Moore's character but those scenes don't actually appear in the final film um, and it's sort of unclear why she was dropped from the movie. I can't imagine that it was still because she was a communist, but no. <laughs> the blacklist still going. <laughs> yeah, but she died um, of cancer in London in March two thousand nine. Fairly, um, that's interesting. I could see her playing an older version of Julianne Moore. Well, have you seen the hours? No, I haven't. So it's I. It is a movie that I really like because it's a like a retelling of Virginia Woolf stories and but Julianne Moore plays a character who's you know like Julianne Moore's age at one point and then she gets older and when she's older Julianne Moore wears this like old lady makeup that I don't think is very good it just looks like Julianne Moore with like oatmeal on her face oh. uh, so I was like I don't you should should have kept the old lady in here but yeah <laughs> That's interesting. I'm glad you bioed her because I didn't really know anything about her. And the thing that I thought was very unbelievable about this movie was that everyone kept saying how she was so ugly. <laughs> I was like, this person looks like a movie star. Yeah. What's go- what are you talking about? No. To, I was a little bit surprised um, to hear that she was nominated for an Oscar for her role because there were a couple of times where I was like, is she is she dog-faced? Or is she just like, is her face supposed to be not making any expressions? Or is she just not a very good actor? Like, I don't So I had some moments where I was not convinced by her performance, I guess. But I feel like she wasn't given a ton. She had almost no lines. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And like she so, was supposed to just like stand there and listen to Marty talk about his butcher shop. So like what face would you make? Yeah. <laughs> As he lists the different prices of meat yeah. on their date. It's fascinating, Emily. I wish like on um, my my first date with my like future spouse someone would just you know, list out the price of meat. No. If they also referred to you as a dog, would you then yes. want to marry them? Yeah, that would um, seal the deal, I'm sure. I'm going to go tell Jen this, that she needs to just woo me with um, <laughs> prices of meat. Well, I'm just going to lay my cards on the table, Hill, and tell you that I loved this movie. <laughs> loved it, like full on loved it. <laughs> 
And you might have had a very different reaction, but I'm just putting it out there that <laughs> I have not enjoyed a movie so much in a very long time. <laughs> what did you, what, like, what was it about it that you liked so much? It moved me. I mean, there's, there's different, different things about it, but like, one of the primary things was that it moved me. And I liked that it was about ordinary people and mm-hmm. it wasn't very glamorous. And really the whole substance of the movie was about like loneliness and human connection. Mm-hmm. I thought that the title performance was really good. And also it was really funny. I mean, some of this stuff was probably particular to like, you know, if you are familiar with Italian immigrant culture. <laughs> but... <laughs> But it, it, some of it was just really hilarious. Like, I wrote down a bunch of lines, like how they're all yelling, like, what's the matter, you? And like, who die? Who die? <laughs> and um, when they talk about the evil eye, I was watching with Mike and he was like, Malocchio, Malocchio, <laughs> which, is, which is the Italian for that. And that was really funny. Also, just the, the culture where like everyone's up in everyone's business, like, the fact that you just assume everyone else is going to mass. Like, there were a lot of references, like, I'll talk to you before mass. I'll talk to you after mass. Like, of course, everyone's just at mass. <laughs> that was really good. I don't know. It just, it spoke to me. And I think part of it is that I just, like, I know people in my life who are like Marty and, like, don't have confidence and self-esteem and have faced, like, a lot of terrible rejection. Mm-hmm. And are lonely. And I liked that it was sort of hopeful about, like, you don't need to have this uh, glamorous love story. You basically just need to have a connection with another person where you accept and listen to each other. Mm-hmm. And that, like, that can be a beautiful thing. Yeah. I, so I think that's why it, it kind of spoke to me. Hmm. And it was hopeful. Yeah. So, I mean, this is... You can, like, feel free to just be like, I hated it, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But this is... (laughs) I mean, I, like, I didn't hate it, but I think I spent a lot of the movie incredulous that, you know, this movie, like, made at any time period was, like, showing us a guy who was like ultimately you know kind-hearted and like kind of a black sheep in his family and you know he goes you know he goes up to Bonnie Blair's character Clara at, you know in the club because he sees that like the date that he's that has brought her is like gonna like leave her because he's like not interested in her and wants to go like chase some other tale and he just doesn't think that's right and you know and feels bad for her and but not in a like like not in a bad way in a like truly like compassionate way and then you know and he's like you know even when he like his friend like tries to lure him away he's like no I can't leave her like and yeah I don't know I feel like I spent most of the movie like waiting for the shoe to draft like waiting for him to be like an asshole and he never was an asshole and so it got to the end of the movie and I was like oh like that was like that was all genuine and I was surprised by it and and maybe it's because like our previous movie was Pillow Talk it was just like such a different <laughs> movie <laughs> like oh a genuine connection between like normal people in New York City you know they're just doing their best you know it was like com- it was comforting in a way but I spent the entire movie being like oh god <laughs> Yeah, what's going to happen? What's something bad that's going to happen? It was just, yeah, you're right. He was just like such a decent person, even in the interactions with his mother and... And his aunt. The aunt. Yeah. Like, that he didn't, I was thinking, like, 
if I were in that situation, I'd be like, no, I don't want this terrible aunt coming to live with us. She seems like a, a jerk. Well, <laughs> she's he was an just old like, woman. Right, she's 59 years old or however old she was. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, some of that stuff <laughs> was really fun. Although I related so much to that um, daughter-in-law. I mean, no, I my in-laws are lovely, but like when... Marty's uh, mom was trying to discourage him from dating this girl. He kept saying, she don't look Italian to me. She don't look Italian to me. And that's what they used to say about me. They would say, like, she's not Italian. She's not Italian. Nope. Or I remember people constantly asking me if I, even I was a little bit Italian. <laughs> and you're not even a little bit and Italian. And I'm not, I'm not even a little bit Italian. Um, so... <laughs> Because there was another another woman who married into the family who was, like, 99% Irish, but she had, like, a drop of Italian. Everyone was like, oh, it, it, she's okay. She's okay. Uh, which, you know, it is what it is. But a lot of that stuff just rang true to me, like, the way everybody looked, like... My husband's grandmother's, like, that's exactly how they looked. They wore house dresses. They wore their hair like that. Mm -hmm. And they spent, like, the whole day cooking and cleaning and taking care of people. And that was it. Yeah. And so you could imagine that, like, if your son tries to throw you out then, not out of malice, just, like, to try and live his own life, that you get, like, Katerina. How do you pronounce her name? Katerina. Yeah. And, you know, it was, like, you know, beside herself. Yeah. And, I mean, I think... Mike was saying, aren't I glad that he's not a Mamoni? Because, like, which is, like, a mama's boy. And you could see with these Italian sons that if the mom's whole purpose, as they clearly state in this movie, is to clean the house and cook for your children, that's what they're going to expect from from a spouse after that. Mm -hmm. Um, That his cousin was like, you're putting me between my mother and you. And, but the mother-in-law was like saying it wasn't even the daughter-in-law's baby. Yeah. (laughs) She was like, that's my son's baby. It's not your baby. I'm like, I think it's both of their babies. I think, uh, I think it's both of them. It took them both. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, you were right. Like Marty was just a nice person and he put up with a lot of crap. You know what I thought one of the best acted scenes in the whole movie was? Um, in the early part when he tries to call that girl he doesn't even want to oh, call. Oh, yeah. And he just is doing it because he's like, you know, it's another Saturday night where he's at home. Yeah. Yeah. That, and she rejects him. And he keeps asking her for like the next one or the next one. I mean, it's sad. Like, it felt very relatable. Like, who's never been rejected? Oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, I have been there, dude. (laughs) (laughs) And the way everyone, even in the butcher shop, kept being like, what's the matter, you? Why don't you get married? (laughs) You should be ashamed of yourself. Although I was thinking, at least in Mike's family, for people who couldn't find someone here, they always, like, brought someone over from Italy. (laughs) Like, a couple of his aunts and uncles were matched by matchmakers and they just like met their spouse when they they were brought over to marry them wow i mean that i guess that's how you like ensure that you know your kid marries an italian yeah import the italian doesn't always make for the happiest no matches but no um it was kind of, I mean, you know, when they, they make a big deal about how he's 34 years old and he, like, lives with his mother and is single and he's like, you know, he's like, I'm going to be a bachelor forever. And, you know, and, and Clara is 29 and it's something that they talk about in, like, as they're, like, dancing, you know, at the 
the club, you know, because it's so obviously a thing that they're, like, older and single or whatever. And I wonder if that would have hit me differently if I wasn't watching this movie as a 35-year-old. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, because part of me is like, yeah, I guess that is, like, young to be, or old, sorry, to be, um, you know, still on your own. But on the other hand, like, you still have a lot of life ahead of you. Yeah. I mean, I guess... It made me think about how things have changed so much over the decades that, like, if you think, and he references that he served in the war. Yeah. So, like, he was an adult for a while. If that, you know, if you're serving in war, you're an adult and, you know, he has a job and everything. And, And it used to be, like, people would just, people were considered adults so much younger. And now in like on the East Coast and stuff, people are like, oh, if you get married before you're 30, you're crazy. (laughs) Like that's, that's how people act. I had people tell me that like, you need to wait like 15 years and then see if you still want to get married. And and I wasn't that I was, um, I was 26, which is I mean, it's not old, but it's not like crazy young. It's not like I was like 20. Yeah. So yeah I mean yeah that is a good point that like our perceptions of age have definitely changed I was doing you know I was on ancestry.com this weekend doing some family history and you know looking at even just like when my the difference like my great-grandparents on one side were 32 years old and had and I think they were there was a big age difference so she was 32 and he was 45 and they had five children under the oh age of 12 and I it's a lot that is yeah you would have you would have to like start when you were like 20 and then have one like every two to three years yeah and so like if that's the like the culture that this I mean that was in Wisconsin so like totally different from New York in some ways but on the other hand I think not not too far removed from the like that cultural expectations you know of a little bit later yeah you're an adult when you're 20 my dad's mom and dad married when they were 19 yeah and they had him a year later so i mean that's that's not that long ago no that's the like that's the marty generation yeah well the other thing that struck me as very true was that there was such a strong culture like in this group of like family and friends this community that it was kind of like everyone had a certain way of doing things and expected things to be done a certain way. Mm-hmm. And if you deviated from that, there was a lot of backlash. Yeah. And I even noticed that, and I don't know if that's sort of like um, a way of preserving like culture as an immigrant or what, but like I still notice that in Mike's family, like everyone, it's, there are no surprises. Everyone does things a certain way. Yeah. And it's just, it's everything from like day to day life to like what kind of life decisions you make. Yeah. And deep Deviation is not, like, joyfully accepted. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, the fact that Marty didn't marry, like, and everyone was on him about it kind of made sense to me because, you know, I still see stuff like that going on. Yeah. It's, you know, I guess it's just, like, if you were back in the village, mm-hmm. it probably would be that way. Yeah. There are some upsides to having those, like, expectations, those, like, cultural expectations because, you know, the upside was that, like, he... Marty, you know, brings her back to his apartment or their house or whatever, you know, to 
I think ostensibly to get more money so they can go out again. And then, you know, his mother comes home or whatever and they have a little conversation. And then he's like, he says, I'm ta- I am have to take her home. Um, and there's, you know, there's not a lot of buses. So whatever. And, you know, it's not a, it's not a question of like how she's going to get home safely. He's going to escort her home to make sure that... Um, you know, that she gets home safely. And, like, I, like that's kind of overbearing in some some ways. But on the other hand, it's, like, 1 o'clock in the morning in New York City. And, like, yeah. I wouldn't want to go. Like, I don't know what the, the difference in, like, distance is. But I wouldn't want to, like, travel by myself in the, like, not 1 o'clock in the morning um, in New York. No. And it's, you know, that's the kind of chivalry I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of my college days where, like, if I was on a date, someone would, like, ride the subway back with me to make sure I got back home. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you would, like, it seems weird that you would ride public transit with someone to take them home, but it's actually kind of a nice thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> depending on where you live. Yeah, it's like, yeah. A, it's a little, it's a little nice thing. Yeah, I mean, the flip side, and the, and, um... This kind of struck me about this film, too. I mean, it seemed somewhat oppressive that everyone was kind of, like, up in Marty's business. But the flip side is he had this entire extended family and, like, huge group of friends. Everyone seemed to know him. Everyone was nice to him. Like, for the most part, like, people would see him on the street and be like, hey, Marty, hey, Marty. Like, he had a real community. I I was watching it and I felt jealous. Yeah. (laughs) Can you imagine? Like, having all these people live within a couple blocks and you could see them, uh-huh. like, on the regular. Well, and his best friend Angie gets mad at him because he's, like, he abandons him at the dance club because he's, like, with this girl then. You know, and, and Marty, I think, feels bad that he's a, abandoned Angie, but he's, like, you know, also totally into this girl. And so it's, like, he has this friend that he hangs out with every Saturday night. And they do the same thing. And then he, like, abandons him. And it's, like, the meanest thing Marty does in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and Ange sort of ditches him anyway to go dance with people. So I didn't feel that bad that he left him. Well, I mean, I didn't feel that bad either. Because I'm like, you guys are 34 years old. So, like, that's not like you're, (laughs) you know, you're not like you're teenagers. This is not your first dance club. I just thought overall that, like, the lead performance was so vulnerable. Like, I I, I liked how even when, like, he and Clara are kind of, like, awkward together, Mm -hmm. you know, and they don't have any game at all, and they just are like, these are all the ways that people think that I'm a loser, and they just tell each other. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, it was... It was kind of beautiful that they were like that. They just kind of led with vulnerability, mm-hmm. which is the opposite of what most people do when they're dating. Like, they have, th- that's their first conversation, and then their next conversation is like, oh, I have this enormous life decision I have to make. Like, let me tell you about it. They sort of help each other resolve these, like, enormous job decisions. You know, whether he's going to buy the butcher shop and whether she's going to take the job and move out of her parents house well and it made you think that like you don't need to have a bajillion love affairs you could just all you really need is like one connection Mm -hmm. that works like if if you're someone who wants like a long long long-term relationship and that you could easily mess things up too like the way he listened to his mom and his friends who were like let's just go do the same thing we always do on saturday which is sit around and talk about what we're gonna do yeah He's all, he's all of a sudden, he's like, wait a second, I know what I 
want. And I've been listening to you people. I don't care what you guys think. <laughs> I'm going to go get what I want. Yeah, I liked that ending. And and that's how it is. Like, you kind of... you Sometimes you need to take your shot. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that could have been the difference between him, like, getting married and having a family and then just not ever. Yeah. Gotta break away from that culture. Some, the way that he was kind of uncertain made me think about how you, even though he was an adult who, like, had a job and everything, that you can be kind of, like, infantilized. Mm -hmm. If you are still kind of under the thumb of your family into thinking you can't make your own decisions or you need like other people to tell you mm -hmm. what's the right thing to do. So it felt like him stepping more into his own personhood at the end. Yeah, totally. Can we talk about some of the slang <laughs> in the movie? I am not sure what tomatoes means like what kind of girl that is referring to but every t time they refer to a girl as a tomato I was like oh. I was flabbergasted <laughs> yeah I was confused and like I know a lot of old-fashioned slang just because of like the kind of pop culture we consume that is not one that I knew and I I actually turned to Mike I was like are they talking about the women or are they talking about the boobs because that's what I <laughs> Because I did not know. I assume it was the women. Yeah. But that was pretty funny. And the, just a lot of the language in the movie was great. It made me want to be in, like, 1950s New York. I know. And I... Oh God, yeah. So much of this movie, I was like, I would like to go to New York City right now. <laughs> like, walk around. Yeah. I think a lot of this movie just kind of made me... Like, want even more for the pandemic to be over so I could, like, have a community and visit places <laughs> and all of those nice things. Yeah. So, I read online that this ending is considered open-ended, but I did not view it that way. Did you? I guess, like, sh sh we see the scene where she's crying. Mm -hmm. And so I guess there is a possibility that, like, when he calls and is like, hey, I'm calling you, you know, there's a possibility that she could be like, no, you know, you blew your shot. It seems unlikely. Yeah. Because he's not like, he didn't call and, he wasn't calling and was like, hey, he wasn't like assuming anything. He was calling and being like, you know, I'm sorry I didn't call you early. You're, you know, here I am. So it didn't feel open-ended to me. Yeah, I mean, he was supposed to call her after mass and he waited until later in the day. That's, that's not that terrible. No. I mean, it sucks, but. Oh my gosh. It reminds me of those, do you remember days when you would like wait by the phone for someone to call? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> those were awful. Yeah. I mean, it's like totally another, like, like pillow talk. Like this movie couldn't be made now because it, you know, they would be like texting back and forth immediately. Or you would just see the dot, 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 and then no response. <laughs> Oh, so sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also loved, this is apropos of nothing, but that um, everyone hung out at that neighborhood bar. Yes. And Marty's, like, regular routine was, like, he would get his beer and he would, like, sit next to his friend and they would both read the paper. Yes. <laughs> as their, like, Saturday night thing. I was like, I would totally do this on a Saturday yeah. night. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, I, yeah, it made, that also made me miss New York. I mean, it just made me miss, like, regular life pre-pandemic. <laughs> I would like to go to a bar and yeah. read the newspaper with someone yes. and not be wearing a mask. Oh my god. Yeah, all the non-masking. In some ways it's easier for me to watch 
old movies like this now where I'm like, oh, of course no one's wearing a mask. If I watch anything contemporary, my mind is constantly like, you're standing too close. You're not wearing a mask. You can't go to that place. <laughs> I know. How is the ventilation in that building? Exactly. <laughs> Did that person just cough? When was... <laughs> That's so sad. Oh, God. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Uh, should we talk about social justice? Sure. Did you think there was a social justice message? I mean, I was struck by, you know, how this was a movie that, like, you know, sort of turned on its head or, like, showed a different perspective of, like, needling someone to get married. Like, it was just nice that it wasn't the woman who was being needled to get married. It yeah. was the man who was being needled yeah. to get married, which isn't, like truly social justice but it was just like it i think in watching a movie with that you know turned on its head it just reminded me of how um often that is the case in movies that it's like all about all about whether the woman gets married but that's the only thing i can think of i think what about you i don't know if it would really be considered social justice but i did think there was an underlying message about everyone being deserving of love mm. and connection mm -hmm. which was meaningful to me i mean they were kind of and there was there were some like mentions of class like he talked about being a butcher and how yeah oh right he would be viewed as lower class so I mean, there was some subtle stuff i didn't think it was an anti-social justice movie yeah well and some of this like the stuff that you talked about earlier about like the this immigrant culture and you know sort of what that meant for him like being in New York and being in the world I think it you know isn't again very like social justice but sort of demonstrates a like a particular worldview yeah I've been living my own life making my own decisions for a long while now it's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again well what about Bechtel is there another woman for Clara to talk to? No, I mean, there are four developed female characters. If you, if you, you know, there's the two, there's the, his mother, the aunt, the daughter-in-law, and Clara. Yeah. And then, I think, I mean, there's other women who speak in the movie. I don't think Clara really gets to talk to any other women. So it was, it would basically be down to the interactions among the women in the family. Yeah. Which are all about like what does it mean to be a mother I guess of adult children at least yeah. among the sisters I, and how like once the like that it's such a terrible thing to be a 56 year old woman who <laughs> does, who's like kids don't need you anymore I mean Which, like let me just say when my mother was 56 years old I definitely still needed her like I still need her oh my gosh <laughs> like, I need my mom now I called her today <laughs> like, that is definitely something that has changed. <laughs> well, there's also, yeah, I mean, just parenting in general has changed yeah, a lot. so much. I would say that it passes, because, like, I find it kind of annoying that they were like, oh, our whole worth is in just these, these things. But also what they're really talking about is, like, uh, what their place in the world is, yeah. like, what's available to them as immigrant women and also even though those things are kind of looked down upon now like cleaning and cooking for other people and like caretaking like that's all labor yeah and like basically they're saying our our labor and purpose was taken away from us 
Yeah, it was undervalued and now it's taken care of, taken away from us. But yeah, that's a good point. So I would say, I mean, I, I think that it does pass. And compared to a lot of movies that we've watched, this had more developed female characters. <laughs> it's true. And half of them were older women, mm-hmm. which was kind of refreshing. Like, it, this movie could have been written very differently and just had the mother and aunt as, like small side parts but they had their own scenes yeah and they could have been played for laughs instead of being i mean it's really like there's some pathos to their um experience yeah and i kind of appreciated too how the mother intervened in that um Mm -hmm. conflict between the daughter-in-law and her sister yeah and like it would have been very easy to just like take a side or something but really what she was like oh i'm helping you to like do the right thing and like give them some space they're grown yeah and of course you should come stay at our house because there's plenty of room and um and you know we'll be together oh i laughed so hard when the daughter-in-law said can't you just take her for a couple of years Like, that was a small ask. I thought it was going to be, like, weeks. (laughs) There were a lot of really funny... I don't know if it was supposed to be funny or not, but there were a lot of funny parts to this movie. Can't you just take her for a couple of years? (laughs) So, I think it passes. Are we ready to rate? (laughs) It sounds like you're ready to rate. You've been ready to rate. I'm ready to rate. You've been ready to rate this movie. Like, for the last uh, 40 minutes, so. I, all right, Hill, get ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm going to give it a 4.75. Wow, dang. This is, like, your most favorite movie that we've ever watched. Well, no. I think I gave, I give it all about Eve a 5. Oh, that's true. And I, did I give anything else a 5? I don't know. Desk said I gave a very high rating <laughs> to it. So this is up there with all about Eve and Desk set for you. Yeah. I mean, All About Eve, I think, had had much better, like, one-liners and, and all of that. But it was a very different type of movie. But I would watch this again. I would recommend it to people. And I actually just felt like, after watching it, I felt uplifted and also, you know, like, I, I felt like I'd seen something good. Although I'm surprised that this one best picture... Yeah. Just because it seems like a, like compared to the kinds of things that usually do, like Spartacus or whatever, like it feels like a very small movie. Uh huh. But, um, but I liked it. I liked the message and it, it was for me, I guess. Yeah. What about you? Don't, you don't have to give it a high rating. Um, <laughs> you're like couching it. Um, <laughs> I feel like I would give it a, three and a half because I, I I made a note about how like I didn't like I found a lot of the dialogue a little bit trite like that it was just like not it didn't sound like dialogue it sounded like this is such a like writer thing to say but it sounded like conversations that normal people would have rather than dialogue in a movie <laughs> you know it's like that's true um so I was like, okay, I feel like I'm like, is this a story core or is it a movie? Um, it's kind of like mumble core, but of like the fifties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, but I think like that to me that was the major like downside. You know, just that it was just like not. 
not as, um, like, snappy as, not snappy, but, like, um, I don't know, I didn't think it was as well written as it could have been, and, but otherwise, you know, I think it was, it was a movie that surprised me, and, um, you know, gave me a different, showed me a different perspective on this era, and, like, this, uh, that experience, um, which I appreciated. I think I was texting with my friend about it, and she's the one who had, like, recommended it to me a long time ago. And she said, isn't that movie just so charming? And I was like, that's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Because it did, and I think a lot of it was just Marty was very yeah charming. But it's kind of nice just to watch a movie about someone who is good and artless. Yeah. Um, um, he says, he says to the baby, this, this was one line that I liked, he, he's, he's holding his cousin's baby, and he says to the baby, you're bigger than a leg of lamb, which, <laughs> like, I, it was, like, a line that I was like, yes, I want more of those lines, because it showed us who he was, and it was, just, like, he's a sweet butcher, like, that's just, like, something yeah. that a sweet butcher would say. <laughs> you're bigger than I a leg I was surprised. <laughs> Yeah, he, um, weren't you surprised that all those, like, old ladies who were checking out at the butcher weren't, like, trying to set him up with people? Yeah. (laughs) No. They were just interested in his love life. They weren't gonna do anything to help him. Yeah, exactly. I'm just gonna harass you about it and ask what's the matter with you. (laughs) Well, Hill, you have an insight into my life after watching this. I do. That's funny. Um, so, what's our next movie? Um, our next movie is The Defiant Ones. Ooh, that, that should be good. Yeah. May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter, at The Screen Sirens. And leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.